good Wednesday morning, everyone. This is uh, Doug Ferrar with Touchdown Wire in the USA Today SMG Sports Media Group. And over there in the Eagles t-shirt, ready to take it to the limit, is uh, Greg Cosell of ESPN uh, NFL Matchup and NFL Films. Greg, you're, you're rocking out today. You're, you're ready You're ready to go. Well, as long as this is not the last resort, Doug, we'll be good to go. No. Uh, you can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. Right. And uh, now that we're checked in, uh, we've discussed all kinds of things sort of leading up to the regular season. we got a couple more weeks to go. We're not going to talk about the preseason per se. So let's look forward a little bit. Let's spin this forward to – and next week, we're going to talk about the defenses you're looking forward to watching when the regular season comes around. But I wanted to get into five offenses that you, Greg Cosell, are looking forward to watching in the 2023 regular season. And the first name you came up with, the first team, you've been talking about this like all summer. And I know you, <laughs> you did a watchathon over the summer uh, with this team. I did. I, I know who you're going to say. And it's the Lions under Ben Johnson. And I want to get into the DNA of this offense with you. The first thing, when I watched the Lions from 2022, the, the, the first note is this may be the most Shanahan-y offense I've ever seen from a guy who isn't from that tree. And what I mean by that is, you know, the passing game is boot and it's easy opens and all that. The run game is so diverse and they do so many different things. So, Let's start there with what Ben Johnson is dialing up in that run game, especially well, bringing Jameer Gibbs, and that's a whole different <laughs> thing. But just give me the the overall view of the DNA of that offense and why you find it perhaps the most intriguing. Well, I know you mentioned the run game, but I was way more fascinated by the pass game, to be honest, just because I'm more of a pass game guy. Sure. Um, uh, although there are certain run games like the Niners that are truly fascinating and how they – sort of play off basic structures and concepts with, with and use different people to get to basic things. But let's start with the Lions pass game. You know, one of the things that always stands out to me, and this is true of any sport, if people want to think about this, of any sport that's in confined space. Now, people may not think of, of football in confined space the way they think of, let's say, basketball or hockey, because the confined space in football is larger. So you don't necessarily look at a football field and go, wow, that's a lot of confined space. But the reality is it's still confined space. Sure. So what do you have to do in the pass game, particularly when you're playing against zone? But it, it also holds true for man coverage as well. But again, zone, you have to create space for your receivers. Okay, that's what you're trying to do. Because every zone has voids, so you have to figure out ways to get receivers, not just one receiver, but receivers into voids. So what becomes really important? Spacing Mm -hmm. and balance in your routes. Now, we often hear about floor balance in basketball, but it's true in football as well. There's spacing of routes and there's balance so that guys are not running next to one another or they're too close to one another and, in a sense, cover themselves and don't give the quarterback any kind of clear indicator. And I thought the spacing and balance with the route combinations, particularly versus zone, of course, um, and the way they at times overloaded zones, Mm -hmm. really gave Jared Goff a clear picture so he could play as to what he is, which is a timing and rhythm thrower with precise ball location. And, And that's what Goff is, so you have to present him with those kinds of route concepts so that he sees it clearly 
can hit that back foot and know where to go with the ball. One of the other notes that, yeah, one of the other notes I made on the Lions, the, the passing game was favorable first read, which Goff yes. has yes. always And again, played. you're not going to get first reads all the time in the NFL because obviously defensive coordinators are smart. But in an odd way, and, and this term might be in the minds of many pejorative and negative, but it's not. They they kept it basic and simple, and I'm not, and again, those are not negative terms in this case at you all. You can say the same thing about the Eagles' offense of Jalen Hurst. They kept it simple because they didn't need to complicate it. So right. Yeah, so, so therefore, Goff could drop back, and because of the way they attack zone coverage, you know, I would say more often than not, he was able to go to that first read because it was clean in the way he could see it, yeah. and you know, it, they just did such a good job with that. And the other thing they did really well, and this dictates coverages, is I thought they they used reduced splits really well. And, of course, Goff was very used to that from the McVay years sure. because McVay with the Rams was a big believer in reduced splits. And so people understand what that means. That means that the wide receivers, instead of being out wide, were more condensed to the formation. So, you know, what that does is it's very hard to play press to that. Uh, corners, in response to that, will very often play with more depth and more width so receivers get free access into their routes they're not disrupted off the ball as much and therefore the routes could develop with the timing that's designed and it so it didn't change anything about the routes so again allowing Goff to be able to see it the way you practice it we t- we talked about the the wider hash marks in college football we talk about you know the that condensed space the the narrower hash marks in the NFL does kind of present that condensed space. And I've heard coaches say, and I've had people tell me that a lot of times coaches use reduced splits to sort of simulate those, you know, because then your receivers have more of a boundary. There's more room to run your routes. No question. And another thing I thought they did really, really well was I thought they did a really good job of bringing a backside. Let's say it's a three by one set, Mm -hmm. three receivers to one side, one receiver to almost always to the short side of the field, the boundary, as we call it, um, which would be the back side more often than not, because more often than not in three by one, and again, nothing's 100%, but more often than not, the read is often to trips to the three receiver side. I thought the Lions did, consistently did a really good job of bringing a, a backside route, you know, from the single receiver side into Goff's front side vision, and yes. that gave him a defined read if he did not feel comfortable with with trips and what the defense showed him. So again, you brought a receiver, a fourth receiver, right into his vision, and you know that of course that also helps the quarterback. Sure, that's a Bruce Arians concept that goes all the way back to Sid Gilman, where you have flood on the front side and you got that backside slant. Usually with Bruce, it was Larry Fitzgerald, it's like or uh, or maybe Chris Godwin or someone who makes that little slant easy. So if right. all this stuff is chaos, you don't see it. You got the backside guy over there, and it's again, it's easy. You know, and 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 I think I, I'm not a, a big. You know, you're probably more of a, a stat guy than I am. Um, you know, I spend most of my time watching tape. I do look at at certain things stat wise, obviously, because stats can be a cumulative rendition of of certain things. But you know, one thing that really stuck stood out to me was how infrequently Goff was sacked for a guy that is essentially a pocket quarterback who doesn't have great movement ability. And he was only sacked 23 times. And again, that's, that's also a tribute to Goff, but I think that's a a function too of how the system was laid out 
because he was getting rid of the ball within the timing and structure of the play design. And that speaks to the play design because, you know, Goff, like I said, Goff, you don't want him holding the ball in the pocket. Well, uh, to bring up the guy that uh, Goff was traded for last year, especially when Cooper Cup was hurt, Matthew Stafford was pressured and sacked a lot. And a lot of the time, I mean, you can blame the offensive line, you can blame Stafford. When your receivers can't separate at all, you're going to hold on to the ball, you're going to get sacked. I saw that a lot with Stafford. So those you know, those favorable designs, those favorable first reads, and they don't happen all the time, but they happen enough, you get in a rhythm and things just start to work. And I thought that they used motion effectively. I wouldn't say percentage-wise, and I don't have the numbers you may. They were were top, like, six overall. Yeah, I was going to say they they were probably not top in the league in terms of use of motion, but I thought they were very effective using it. And they used it, and, and again, it's, it's easy to say it defines coverage. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But I thought they did a really good job of um, of creating communication issues for the defense at a bunch and stack. Yes, and that that also went to the run game where they would motion. You know, they they would run heavy, and Johnson used motion, I think, to sort of camouflage his intentions. There weren't. I mean, they were they would pass out of obvious run looks and vice versa. And a lot of the time in the run game, they would motion a tight end or a fullback, mostly a tight end, into the backfield, and all of a sudden, oh, you thought it was you know heavy twelve. We're going to throw the ball. No, we're going to do this. We're going to run wham. Yeah. We're going to pull two offensive linemen. I mean, the the whole thing was just it's that whole thing of you know we have a few plays, we expand them, we make right. it simple for the offense, but it's complicated for the defense, which is kind of the ideal. Yeah, I mean, I remember John Gruden and a very famous line of his is the illusion of complexity. Yes. Um, you know, and, and by the way, defenses try to do that, too. I sure. remember speaking with Dennis Allen. He talked about, hey, we want it to look really complicated for the offense, but we want it to be simple for us. I mean, that that's true with either side of the ball. Yep, both sides. So moving to the Ravens offense, we know it's going to be different going from Greg yep. Roman to Todd Monken. Um. Pre-snap motion last season, Lamar Jackson wasn't great. You know, when he – outside the numbers, which you expect more, not great. So it's kind of a big box of to be determined. But ideally, what is a Todd Monken offense, and how does Lamar Jackson fit into it? Well, let's start with personnel. Ravens last year played 11 personnel, 12% of their snaps, far and away <laughs> the lowest percentage in the league, and truly an anomaly in today's NFL. So we're going to start there because that number will increase dramatically yep. simply with the players that they signed, you know, and drafted. So they're going <laughs> yeah. to play out of 11 personnel. Um, so you're also going to, I think there's two things without, you know, again, Monkin just came from three years of Georgia. Um, things I would expect to see two things in particular, number one, far more spread looks. Mm-hmm. Okay. And again, this comes back to having 11 personnel on the field far more spread looks. They were a very condensed offense and they had great success with it under Greg Roman, clearly, but there will be far more spread looks. The other thing I think you will absolutely see for sure is more tempo. Now, tempo doesn't automatically mean that you get up to the line of scrimmage and snap the ball immediately, but I think there will be more no huddle tempo. I think they'll play faster. Um, And, you know, ideally when you do that, 
the defense does not have as much time to communicate and to react to what you're doing because, hey, you don't know when the ball is going to be snapped. It could be snapped right away. It could be snapped with 20 seconds on the play clock, or you could stand there and snap it with two seconds on the play clock. It, you know, But the defense doesn't know that. But I think you'll see more spread and more tempo. I have said before that late in his time with the Chargers, uh, they ran when Phillip Rivers was there, they would run no huddle, but it would be like one second left on the play clock. And it's yeah. like watching oil change, but it works. Right. Um, so, you know, I think you'll see a lot more of that. And again, beyond that, you know, I can't speak with any certainty is what you'll see because Monken has not been in the NFL. Um, obviously, Georgia was, you know, a team that was – pro style in the sense that they they had an nfl style run game the quarterback was under center um you know i'm sure they'll do a number of things they're not going to disregard the fact that lamar jackson is the best running quarterback in the league they're not going to totally get rid of that um they're just i don't think they're just going to build everything around that i think we we've talked about creating openings for receivers with motion and he was so crafty with that at georgia i would expect to see a lot of that too yeah. Uh, moving to the Indianapolis Colts and the Shane Steichen, uh, <laughs> basically taking what he had in Philadelphia as the OC to the HC in Indianapolis. And Anthony Richardson had just two rushing attempts this preseason, but you can already see it. He took a keeper to the right against the Bills, and cornerback Kyer Elam tried to tackle him face up. And first of all, he made Kyer Elam look like a midget, and Richardson just bowled him over. You got to. He's a big guy. He's like Cam Newton size, and he's very fast. So we start with the run game. And for those who may not know, how with the Eagles, and we'll just sort of – because we don't know about Richardson yet. But in a larger sense, the Eagles, the way they were able to run out of 11 and pass out of heavy, you never – I mean, we talked about with the Lions, the camouflage. I think the Eagles were the best team last year. You have absolutely no idea what we're going to do based on our personnel. Would you expect to see that in Indianapolis? Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately you're going to see that for a start for sure. Because, you know, don't forget, Richardson, you know, he's obviously a phenomenal runner. I mean, you know, that's what he brings to the table. And yeah. and at this point in time, he's not going to be a high-level reader of NFL defenses with the disguise, the late movement, the different looks he's going to get. They know that. I mean, certainly Jalen Hurts wasn't when he started, you know, in 2021, you know. But the thing is, when you put a quarterback that can run like that in the gun, okay, mm-hmm. that places a major demand on the defense. You kind of know how they have to play it because the quarterback is a runner. So let's say you want to play single high and get an extra guy truly in the box as opposed mm-hmm. to quarters. You want to truly get an extra guy in the box. So – now what has to happen is because of the quarterback, your free safety, he still has to be a quarterback player to some degree. And normally he's the quarterback player to the side of the back. Okay. Now the back isn't always to the single receiver side. If it's three by one, let's say the back can be to the trip side. So you're, you're, you're placing all kinds of strain and burden on the defense because you have to deal with the quarterback as a runner. Somebody has to be involved with him. And you know that going in. And that's why this is just an aside on my part, but I I, I know I've mentioned this to others. I may have mentioned it to you. Um, it's that time of year where I talk to a lot of people about football. Um, <laughs> what did I say to who? What? Huh? Right, right, right. You know, I probably might, I may even have said it to my wife and she's like, what are you talking about? You know, but, uh, but the point is, is that the aside is 
they don't need to spend $20 million a year on Jonathan Taylor because nope. ultimately, and, and Jonathan Taylor is a great back. That's not the point. Um, but when you have a run game with your quarterback like that, it's more schemed than based on the back per se. I mean, yes. yeah, would you like a good back? Of course, you'd like a, a better back than than a worse back, but it comes down to allocation of resources. And, you know, look, the Eagles let Miles Sanders walk. The guy had, you know, 250 carries, 1,200 plus yards, very good back, but they weren't going to pay him that kind of money um, because it's schemed based on the quarterback. And I think that's what you'll see with the Colts. Well, and they had Boston Scott and Kenneth Gainwell. They would do different runs with different guys and all that. The one thing I noticed in the Bills game, the Bills play more nickel than any other team. We know this. Yeah, um, yeah that's kind of their base. Yeah, It'll be a little bit different with Sean McDermott running the show. You're going to see more than the like minus 5% blitz rate they had last year. But one thing I noticed watching all of Richardson's snaps, just his attempts, like, like not even his pass attempts, the two linebackers, every time the ball was snapped, there was this, this little push forward, like, okay, we have to read him. And right. that's the difference. And he, and he's a tough guy to tackle sure. for, you know, for smaller people. So, for you know, the run game will work through him and it'll be very schematic and it places some major burdens on how the defense has to line up. And as he develops as a, as a pure thrower, and we don't know the time frame, obviously, but I, I, I would be interested to see, when they can start to do what the Eagles did with Hurts. Because as you said, and you know, because you're in that area, it, it wasn't immediate. It wasn't overnight. It took a while. No, I mean, obviously Hurts had a great year last year. You saw some flashes the year before, but you also saw some struggles in his first year as a starter. And you'll see that with Richardson as well. I mean, yep. you know, he'll have some plays that we all go, wow, you know, that's just ridiculously special. And then I'll have some other plays and some games where it just, he doesn't see it. That happens. Uh, moving to the New York Giants and another quarterback who last year really uh, surprised a lot of us, Daniel Jones. Um, with Brian Dable and Mike Kafka, we kind of know how they scheme it up. Two new additions, Darren Waller, first three targets against the Panthers were to him. And he right. had a little up and in where he just – and J.C. Horn is a big guy, one of the most physical cornerbacks in the NFL. Beat J.C. Horn up right off the snap on a little up and in, and I'm like, okay – that's interesting. Not not explosive plays per se, but you start to get a sense of how they're going to use Waller. And all we could talk about last year was the Giants don't have enough targets. Between right. him and what Jalen Hyatt did on that little inside leverage where he then went out against Eric Rowe. And I know Hyatt is not a fully developed route runner, but when receivers, and I'm not comparing him to Tyree Kill or Justin Jefferson, but you know this, Greg, when speed receivers go right up, you know, straight vert that you're not doing anything different. Maybe you give somebody a little shake. If that guy takes one step in the wrong direction, one half step, it's over. And that's the kind of speed that Jalen Hyatt brings to the table. So when you look at these new additions and kind of how things are going to work for the Giants, you know, with, with Jones developing, Dable and Kafka are, you know, Dable had the development with Josh Allen as the Bills OC, so we've already seen that. But how do you see this Giants offense playing out? Two things, so we don't just, you know, you can talk about each of these teams forever, obviously. Two things. Number one, 
I think you'll see more intermediate and vertical route concepts this year. I think they'll feel better about their O-line, and, and Dable will feel better about Jones and his ability to execute those more intermediate vertical route concepts. You didn't see a lot of that a year ago. You could argue they didn't have the receivers to do that, but I'm sure it was also a comfort with, with Jones getting comfortable in a new system and Dable uncertain as to, hey, is he going to execute this the right way? So I think you'll see more of that. The second thing is Waller. Now, keep in mind that Mike Kafka came from the the um, Chiefs. Now, again, we're not comparing play. This is not a point about comparing Darren Waller to Travis Kelsey. This is a tactical schematic thing that I'm talking about. Yes. The Chiefs, and of course, Kelsey gives you this because he's so good, but the Chiefs may understand how to use the tight end as well as any team in the league, which is a combination of Kelsey being so gifted, but the coaching staff as well. And now I think you'll see a lot of that with Waller, who does have the ability in terms of where he can line up in the formation, some of the routes he can run, is stylistically similar to Kelsey. Mm -hmm. And don't forget, when you can line up a tight end as your boundary X, the single receiver to the short side of the field, on the backside of trips, and he's a true meaningful threat, not just, oh, let's have that formation once in a while, but he's a true meaningful threat, that number one dictates a lot about how the defense is going to play. And number two, therefore, gives your quarterback a ton more pre-snap information. And those two things are critical. And Waller can absolutely do that. And he can do that not just running slants or, or you know, quick outs. He can actually run intermediate and vertical routes. And the other thing that Waller can do, which also helps you discern how defenses want to play, the first thing you want to do as an offense to find out about defense is stretch the inside seams because find out how the defense is going to play the seams. And that tells you a lot about a defense and Waller can do that as a tight end. Well, with Kelsey, what I call the Y ISO where he's the backside guy and your number one cornerback is on him. Um, the Raiders did that with Waller quite a bit, especially. In Correct. The so they can do that. Already done and that. the thing is they can be corners too. I mean, yeah. It was either two years ago or three years ago. I can't remember when they played Cleveland in the playoffs. And they actually, and Kelsey actually caught a touchdown, and he was ex-ISO, and it was Denzel Ward who was covering him, and he beat him, not just with physicality, but he beat him with quickness. Was that that little pivot route where Denzel Ward tried to go to two places at once and Kelsey? Maybe. Was- yeah, I can't oh, remember. Yeah. But, I mean, he beat Ward. And, like yeah. I said, he didn't beat him because he ran over him. or oh. He beat him, actually, as a route runner. <laughs> he did, like, a comeback and then up. and He might, like- yeah. I, I don't even know what to do with this. It's like yeah. crazy. So, yeah, Waller can definitely be that guy because yeah. he has been. I mean, he was a yeah. wide receiver in college, as we know. Yeah. He, was at, he, he was at Georgia Tech when they were running all the option stuff, so the ball wasn't thrown, but he was a wide receiver initially. Yeah, you're not trading for him to be a blocker, per se. You want to be no. explosive, and you can certainly do that. Uh, finishing up our five offenses that Greg Cosell is excited to uh, watch in the 2023 regular season. Let's talk about the Seattle Seahawks, who ranked uh, 21st in dropbacks of 11 personnel last year, but they were fourth in passer rating out of it. And I would suspect with Jackson Smith and Jigba, who wrist injury may not be ready for the regular season, that's too bad. They say three to four weeks. So, yeah, you know, so, you know, so I mean, he's certainly going to be ready probably by week three. So it's, yeah, it's, it's so, going to be a full season, essentially. Now you've got DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Jackson Smith and Jigba as your three receivers. That's pretty good. Yeah. Like, so, and and as you know, Doug, because you live in the area, last year I think they were second in the league in terms of num- percentage of snaps with multiple tight ends, two and three yeah. tight ends. My guess is once Smith Najigba is there, that we'll see you know these numbers inverted quite a bit. There'll be far more eleven personnel, 
and then and less 12 personnel. Now they'll still line up in 12. We know Pete Carroll wants to run the ball. They've got Kenneth Walker. They didn't draft Zach Char Charbonneau to, you know, bring bring water to everybody. So they're still going to run the ball. But you know, you're dealing with now a lot more that you can do in the past game. And keep in mind, you know, Shane Waldron did come from the Rams. He's been there now in Seattle for I guess it's his either third year or fourth year. I think it's but, third year third year but he does have you know that background of really how to put together a pass game in multiple ways and um you know geno smith obviously had a very good year they've got to shore up one thing i noticed that you know in watching their tape and re-watching it this summer they've got to shore up their third down pass protection and that's an offensive line issue because yes. smith was the most sacked quarterback on third down in the nfl last year and you know Walden wants to get five out as most offensive coaches do and that puts the burden on your old line and you know, quite honestly, and this is a tape study comment, as the season progressed and we got into the last kind of third or quarter of the season, both the rookie tackles started to struggle just a little bit in one-on-one -on -one protection. The feeling is they'll get better. They're both really good players, and I think they'll both be good, you know, good pros as time goes on. But, you know, that has to get better because you want to get five out. You don't want to have to start, you know, keeping tight ends in or your back in. You want to be able to really attack – the defense with five receivers who can be seen as as primary in the route concepts. Yes. Well, Charles Cross and Abe Lucas, left tackle, right tackle, they were the first uh, – the Seahawks last year were the first team since the 2009 Jaguars to start through the entire season two rookie offensive tackles. It was since Eugene 2009? Monroe, 2009. Eugene Monroe and Evan Britton. Last time that happened. So wow. they – and their offensive line had been so problematic for so many years. They were like, okay, we can trust these guys. Let's just go. But right. – and Geno Smith, to me, was a top five deep passer in the NFL last year, which I never thought that sentence would come out of my mouth. But, you know, what do you know about deep passes? They take time to set up. So they will need better protection, certainly. Yeah, I mean, it was a third down issue mostly. Yeah. And, and you know, that's, you know, look, like I said, Cross and, and Lucas are, are likely to get better. They, they played a long season after being college players. And, you know, and, and you know, they both came from systems where there was not a lot of running. So now all of a sudden they're playing a more physical brand of football and that wears you out. They didn't get worn out like that in college, you know, cause they weren't playing that kind of foot. They weren't firing off the ball and creating contact on a regular basis. You know, you do that in the NFL against bigger guys, better players that starts to wear you out. And obviously yeah. the Seahawks run the ball. I wouldn't. Yeah. I certainly wouldn't expect the Seahawks to start two offensive tackles as rookies, certainly not two guys from basically air raid programs that's different. yeah i mean that's the thing so <laughs> so yeah but i mean you know I'm, I'm really curious to see and and that's one reason the seahawks kind of interest me a great deal is this transformation from 12 to 11 and what the balance is there because they're not going to abandon 12 because we no. know pete does want to run the ball and establish a physical presence on offense pete carroll's not an air raid guy it's not like they're all of a sudden going to be in the shotgun every snap tossing it around the yard that's no. not Pete, and he's not going to want to play that way. But no. they drafted Smith and Jigba for a reason. You know, you don't draft Smith Smith and Jigba at 20th in the draft with the idea that he's going to play 12 snaps. Well, and Waldron, I'm not I'm not comparing this player to this player, but I think there's a lot of similarities between Smith and Jigba and Cooper Cup. In I that would say that's fair in terms of st style. He brings everything to the table immediately except for, like, burner third-level acceleration type speed. Which Cup but, didn't really have either. No, doesn't have. But no, the thing is – they both are really high-level separators at the top of the route stem. 
And that's the thing. If you're covering him all day, either one of those guys, your day is going to suck. It's just you, you, he might only get two catches, but, boy, you're going to have to work for everything. They're separation generators, Doug. Yes, and he's so strong both at the catch and after the catch. Now you've got Metcalf in the locket who can roll deep, and now you've got Smith and Jibbo over the middle, and it becomes like, hmm, who do we stop there? So that's highly interesting. We're talking about the Seahawks passing game, cats and dogs and all that. What the heck? And they still have Fan, who can run a little bit and does give you a little bit of a vertical dimension as a tight end. Yep. Yeah, they got good guys to do that. And I think, yeah. you know, Gino's got I, – I personally – there are a couple of watch – you know, things you want to watch for regression, but I think this is kind of who he is now. And, yeah, that, that passing – I mean, I would doubt that he – you know, look, is he going to lead the NFL in completion percentage and throw 30 touchdowns and only 11 interceptions? We don't know the answer to that. But it's not likely he's going to throw 12 touchdowns and 20 interceptions either. Yeah. Then again, we didn't expect their former quarterback to fall off a cliff. So with quarterbacks, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but we're not, we're not going to talk about the Broncos offense because these were five offenses that Greg is actually excited to well, see. Well, I'm actually anxious to see the Broncos as yeah, well, it, but it, I just don't know. You know, that, then we would just be, it, it'd be more true speculation than anything. We don't have a sense. I don't feel like I have a good sense of that. No, I think anxious is a better word than excited for that yeah. particular offense right now. But in any case, uh, that's what we have this week for, in the X's and O's with Greg Cosell. The five offenses that Greg is most interested in watching. Next week, we'll get to the defenses, which is right up my alley. So, Greg, great stuff as always, and we'll talk next week. All right, Doug, thanks. Thanks.